Thank you, Grace. Grace has been, were you born in Kansas City? Grace was born in Kansas City, and she's a, grew up in, in the church there and has made radical commitment to live before God in the place of worship and intercession and prayer. She's on a team at 6 a.m., and then she's also leading a team in the evening set as well. And uh, she's part of the Faulkner family. We love them. Let's turn to Luke 11. As I said, I feel like um, last night I mentioned just the coming crisis or just the condition of the North American church as a generalized statement. Just give you some interesting, a little bit more statistics on the church. They're saying that six, uh, excuse me, five out of ten Americans, when, when polled, said that five out of ten Americans pray every day. Six out of ten Americans say that they worship every day. Um, 82% of Americans say that they're Christians. Um, interesting statistic, 85% of Americans say that they live in a, a simple lifestyle. I'm like, what? <laughs> that one tweaked me a little bit. Um, and then it goes down, it says that 4% of America actually ties on their annual income. So there's a great dispense, there's a great difference now, because I think it can be said where you spend your money is where you're going to find your heart. So out of this vast amount of people in America, some 275, 300 million people, 82% say they're believers. But when you look at the end of the day where they spend their money, it goes down now to 4%. So let's take away the 96%. Let's look at the 4% even. The crisis within the church. We are looking... A church, and we look even at church growth, and most would say now church growth comes because a certain group starts up and they've got a great model, and so church growth happens that 20 from this church move to this church, and I've got church growth. So that's how most they're saying even now how church growth happens is that people are moving churches. And we need to come to this, the condition that actually I'm wondering if souls are being won to the knowledge of Jesus on a regular basis. Right now they say that the fastest growing religion in America is Islam. And then in that, the most discouraging part of that is that the, the biggest pool of growth that, of, of people that are converting to Islam is those that were once believers in Jesus. They're saying now that today the fastest growing religion is Islam and the pool that it's coming from is those that would once call themselves um, believers in Jesus. I think crisis is an accurate word to describe what is going on with the condition of the North America today. We are in great need of another great awakening in this land. We've had two movements that have really spawned the faith of Jesus in this nation. One of them was by preaching of George Whitfield and, and the Wesley brothers. They call it the great awakening in America. At the founding or near the founding of this nation, there was a seed of revival that that spurned a great movement within this land. And then some would look back and say that in the 1970s, it started in along the West Coast in California. It's called the Jesus Movement. We saw a great move through this land. 
where the Holy Spirit released revelation on the gospel. And we saw many souls through the hippie area, hippie era, come to the knowledge of Jesus. And a great movement took place in this nation in regards to power on the gospel and souls coming to the knowledge of Jesus. Genuine conversions where they say, I'm a sinner and I need God. And they make a, a 180 degree turn and they turn wholeheartedly back to God. As I'm looking at and I've been studying just the condition and the posture of hearts within the North American church. When I took on the responsibility of just one thing and in leading it, I, I really asked God, I said, what is the constituency that you're calling us to go after? What is the posture of heart? What is the temperature of the, of the young adults in this emerging generation? What are the issues that they're wrestling with? And at the end of the day, do they know you? And as I've put some study into it and some thought, gone out and got some information on it, it comes back and the news is not very encouraging. The news is not super exciting in regards to the temperature and posture of hearts of this generation. Right now, many of them, as I mentioned last night, are leaving the church when they, be, when they hit university. There's no movement on their hearts that is drawing them. And as I've sought, how can we bring change with this emerging generation? How can we... I don't think it's going to come through One Thing Ministries. I really don't think that we are the, end, the answer to anything. I really don't. I have come to that conclusion. It's not, I'm not trying to be the Messiah. What we're trying to build is not to be the great thing. I have come to the conclusion that we are in great need of the authority of having power on the gospel. And I've stood back and as I've read revivals of old, if I've put a little bit of study and just a little bit of thought, I've come to the conclusion that I can be like, do anything like the next ministry and build this great machine and get things, get young adults coming in and just introducing them. The easiest, most slickest way to get them into the gospel is has this great video show, this great music, etc., etc., etc. I think that I could actually go out and put something together and it would be maybe somewhat fruitful. But I've come to the conclusion that at the end of the day, because I've studied a little bit of those and those ministries that have brought people in and sat them on the pew through a great program, at the end of the day, there is no substance that they're taking them deeper into the knowledge of God. And at the end of the day, you not really see how they've changed and how in regards to their lifestyle. They still are living a compromised life and they say that they're going after Jesus. And it is my conclusion, the true way that we are going to see another great awakening hit in America, where we are going to see thousands swept into the kingdom under the knowledge of Jesus with true repentance, is when we see the Holy Spirit once again put power and revelation on the gospel. It will not come by us building these great machines. It will not come by us building these great infrastructures. And we've got them how to get them through the website. We've got them, etc., etc., etc. The reality is, is if we would have one individual that would give themselves, that would arise with courage and would give themselves to what the scripture calls us to, if we would have one shining and burning lamp that would stand up and begin to preach with power and authority the gospel, we would see a great awakening within this land. It's called walking in a life of prayer and fasting. I was introduced to ministry. And my introduction to ministry was building the best that you can, throwing your life into it, going hard after it, and building this great ministry. And that's what I saw my leaders in front of me doing, and so that's what I did. I did it for about 10 years. 
became a rock star in the midst of it. <laughs> we put together this band and we used this band as a tool to preach the gospel. So I'm living in Budapest, Hungary. I'm traveling down into Sarajevo, in the midst of a war-torn nation. I'm traveling into Croatia, the Zagreb. I'm going into Belgrade. And I'm sitting down and I'm hearing atrocities that have happened to young women. I'm speaking to a guy who is a soldier. And at one point, he had a necklace and he had fingers hanging off of it as, as trophies, as a, as a soldier. And I'm sitting there talking. This one little girl lifts up her shirt, hit with a sniper wound. Another guy takes my finger and sticks it in his leg. And he said, this is where I got hit with a sniper. So this is my audience that I was preaching to. So we do these concerts and I'd get up and I would preach and it was like it was dribbling off of my tongue. I had nothing of impact that would touch their hearts. They would walk in with deception covering their heart in regards to the knowledge of Jesus and my messages were dry and boring. Great music, they would feel good, but I could not preach a message that would win them over to the knowledge of Jesus for eternity. And I came to the place truly where I was depressed with what I was doing. I said, this is not working. This is fruitless. It is not having impact on the long term. My father, as a young man, he had given me books on Smith Wigglesworth. He'd given me books on revival. And that's what I had in my head was authority on the gospel. But the outworking of it was truly falling short within my life. And God in his divine grace brought me to a place that gave me some teaching in regards to being a minister of the gospel that has now begun to make a tremendous amount of sense to me. Because you look through and you study, first of all, the scriptures. And you begin to find, uh, identifying through all the heroes of the faith that they lived a life of being before God in in the area of prayer. And you hit the New Testament and you see the lives of the apostles and the ministry that they were encouraged to. And they all had a life of prayer. They lived a life before God. And then you begin to read history of the true ones that walked with power on their lives. And then you begin to read their biographies. Yes, they had some great ministry on a platform. But I tell you where they lived was a life in God. Their great desire was to be before God. Some of them, we were just talking in the back, one of them lived 12 hours a day, shut up in a prayer room, touching God, shifting and changing things. And God in his grace took that little desire that I had and he took me and he's planted me in a place where I've received teaching that has brought great transformation to how I want to now be a minister of the gospel. To how I actually want to put my time and my resources Because I'm standing back and I'm looking at a coming crisis within this nation. I truly think, give us another 10 years, the church is going to look very, very different. There's going to be greater tension put on the church. And as a minister of the gospel, I'm looking back going, what is going to be the answer? And I think it is found in what Jesus is speaking to the disciples in Luke 11. The idea that prayer is the thing that shifts and changes histories, history, futures is the idea that when I lift my voice, things begin to change and shift and move in the place of prayer. So I think we've got plenty of examples in history and plenty of examples in in scripture that tell us to answer a crisis at a certain time 
is gather the people to pray. And as we pray, things will begin to move and shift. Joel, he comes and he's got this great message and he says, God is about to bring judgment on this land. And his response to the judgment was, everybody turn and repent and let's have a prayer meeting. He says, get the ones that have just been married. He says, go get everybody, assemble the nation. We're about to have a prayer meeting. The response to movements of God is gather the people to pray. Let's get before him and begin to lift our voice. And as we begin to lift our voice, we can have complete assurance and confidence that God is going to visit a land because the church is praying. Before we jump in, I just want to share one little story that I think is truly intriguing. Katrina just hit this nation. This little obscure article I read on Yahoo website. Katrina was a Category 5 hurricane that was coming towards New Orleans. And it says right before it hit New Orleans, a puff of warm air came out of the Midwest and hit Katrina. And the response to that was it slowed it down to a Category 4 and caused it to veer right. And it hit Biloxi, but it did not hit where it was intended, where it would look like it was going straight into New Orleans. And my feeling and my observation is this, because the church in America was praying at that time. I am completely confident. We were standing up in the place of prayer, contending that God would be merciful. And I think that puff of warm air, I have no, I'm not standing you saying, thus says the Lord, but I wonder if it was not the prayers of the saints in the church of America that hit it, slowed it down, caused it to veer right. It could have completely destroyed New Orleans. And the Lord says, I still must touch New Orleans. So he lets the levees break, but a hurricane. And I think that was the power of the voice of being before the Lord in the place of prayer. I am now convinced more than ever that prayer is the most valuable and the most important weapon that we have in regards to souls in America coming to Jesus. To the point where the disciples and In Luke 11, they come to Jesus and they say, would you teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray? So John has a prayer life. He teaches his disciples to pray. And in that context, he says, now Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And immediately, Jesus, he goes into the Lord's prayer, which we're all familiar with. Let's go to verse five. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. Verse 7, and he will answer from within and say, look, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed and I cannot arise. I cannot rise and give to them and give to you. I say, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will arise and give him as many as he needs. Now, as a young man reading this, it's not incredibly uplifting. Because we like to drive in. We like to give our prayer at the, at the McDonald's drive-thru. And about four minutes later, we're anticipating the prayer to be answered. It comes out in a bag. It's called McDonald's. And that's tr- typically how we have been postured in the area of prayer. We throw it up, and we're expecting it to come through any minute. It's typically the idea of prayer. 
And Jesus, his first answer to them in teaching us to pray, his first response is, he says, I want you to be persistent in the place of prayer. He says, I want you to come before me on a continual basis. He says, I want you to continually bring that that request before me. And at the onset, that can be a little bit discomforting to say, you want me to come persistently before you. And he says, this is the key ingredient to a life in prayer is that you're coming before me in a persistent manner, is that you're continually coming again and again and again. So in Kansas City, our goal is to have a perpetual prayer meeting with persistence in it. So every hour of the day, we've got folks that are gathering in worship, that are gathering in prayer on a persistent manner. We're continually offering prayer before the Lord. And in that context, he says, listen, Yes, I want you persistently before me in prayer, but I've got something I want to add to that. When you add persistence in prayer, he says, so I say to you, verse 9, I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Verse 10, for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks, it will be opened. He says, listen, When one of you or 50 of you or 100 of you gather in a persistent manner. He says, I cannot guarantee you the time. But he says, I promise you one thing. That when you gather in a persistent manner, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. So you want power on the gospel in Austin? You want souls won to the knowledge of Jesus? He says, set up a persistent perpetual prayer meeting. He says the response to a coming crisis is ask for its souls to be one to the knowledge of Jesus. And as you give yourself in the place of prayer, I promise you, you will get what you want. Ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find it. Knock on the door of heaven and he will open it and give you what you request. And then he says this amazing thing. He says, check it out though. He says, listen, verse 11. If a son asks for bread from a father among you, Will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He says, you must know one thing, though. That in this persistently coming before the throne room, he says, I want you to know who you're praying to. He says, you're praying to no other. He says, you're praying to somebody that you do not even know. He says, the father in heaven is sitting there and he's listening to you and he's, he's listening to your request. And he says, you must know that he is like no other father that you've ever seen because he wants to give you what you're asking for. So in that context, know that when you come before him in a persistent, perpetual manner, that when you are asking for the power on the gospel, he says, make sure that you ask for the Holy Spirit. And he says, as you will do that, know that it is your father who is wanting to give it. He has a nature like no other, and he's longing to give it to you. So the understanding of prayer truly is not made up. I can't give you the full equation because I fully don't know. Mike always says this and has intrigued me. He says, so you want me to come before you and tell you something that you already know. And he says, you want me to come before you and pray a prayer that you put into my heart to pray back to you. He says, I don't understand the full equation of it. But he says, I know 
that as I pray prayers that have been put in my heart by God and I pray them back to him, he says it is working it out within my own spirit, my own heart. And I know that my prayers are being answered because he has given me these prayers to pray back to him. So the power of prayer and the power of intercession, Jesus introduces to these disciples. And he says, this is what I want you to do is have a perpetual, persistent cry within your heart coming before you in a a manner on a regular basis, on a regular basis coming before me in the place of prayer. So when I moved to Kansas City, I got excited about the stories and hearing the stories of prayer. But then when I really sat down and thought about it, I'm going, I don't like to pray. My whole introduction of ministry, and there's never been a prayer life. The reality is, is that we would do this outreach, and we would gather 15 minutes before, and that would be our prayer meeting. We'd say, God bless this. God bless this. God bless this for about 15 minutes. And then that was how we postured our heart in prayer. So that was what I was used to. So I get introduced to a ministry that says, we want fruit. We want souls one to the knowledge of Jesus. And the way to do it is a persistent prayer meeting. So you want me to come into a, into a prayer meeting and spend two hours before God? Two hours? Dude, I, I can get by with 10 minutes, but 12, I start to get antsy. And you want me to go two hours? Let's go to Luke 18 real quick. Luke 18. Verse 1. Then he spoke a parable that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Love how he set that up. Luke, when he said, listen, I want to, there's another place that Jesus brought in, the, in regards to prayer. And he says, listen, you are going to be tempted to give up on prayer. But he, he prefaces this parable by saying, men, the body of Christ always ought to be praying. And he says, don't lose hope or power in it. That gives us a great tip off that you're going to be tempted to step out of a life of prayer. He says, you're going to be tempted. You're sitting there and you're plowing in the place of prayer. You're contending for the, in the place of prayer. And he says, you're going to be tempted to draw back a little bit. And you're going to be tempted to look at the need. And you're going to be tempted to come up with great ideas to solve the need of, of outside of the place of prayer. And he says, you're going to be tempted to get out of the pace of prayer. And then walk forward and build ministry. Build what you're doing. Build your calling, your mandate. Out of void of the place of prayer. He says, you're going to get some ideas to build a great infrastructure. He says, you're going to get great ideas about how to do a cool meeting where you'll get people to attend. He says, you're going to be tempted to leave the place of prayer. But Luke says, listen, do not give into that temptation of stepping out of the place of prayer. That was my testimony. That was my life and ministry. Void of the place of prayer. Banging my head against the wall. Banging my head against the wall going, where is the power on the gospel? Why are not souls being impacted? But the reality is, is that I go and I close my door, I open my Bible, truly, and I'm bored and I'm dry on the inside. I'm bored and I'm dry and there's nothing of impact. So I've got a prayer life of two to five minutes a day and there's not great fruit coming. And, I, and I'm truly asking the question, 
why am I not having impact? I was, I was very naive. I was going, where, where, why is there not great impact? I want it. Isn't that good enough? I want impact. And he says, listen, the place of walking out your mandate is in the place of prayer. Let's go into the parable. Verse 2. There was a certain, there was a, in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. Verse 3. And now there was this widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. She goes, I want justice to be established in my case. In verse 4, he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because of this widow's troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continually coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect to cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he truly find faith in the earth? Jesus, he brings another parable and he says, listen. I want you to have the hunger and the motivation of this widow. That she came before a judge and the judge continually said, no, I have no interest in hearing your case. And she would let nothing deter her from getting justice. And she would come again and again and again. And Jesus says, this is the ingredient that I want you to have within your spirit. This is the ingredient that I want you to have cultivated within your heart. Is that you would have a perpetual hunger that would move you. That you would get through and you would stand there and you would be like a tenacious pit bull in the place of prayer. And you would be continually coming back. And he says that justice will come speedily when you have this hunger within you. Justice means when you come up to a a cancer ridden body and you say in the name of Jesus I ask for healing. And boom cancer goes in the name of Jesus. Justice looks like a young dorky individuals standing on a university campus and beginning to preach the gospel. Justice means in one day, 200 people come to the knowledge of Jesus. Justice is wrong things being made right. And Jesus says, you want revival? You want justice to break through? Get in the prayer room, have a persistent, perpetual prayer meeting. Come after me on a regular, daily basis. And if you will do that, I promise you, you will get what you want. And in there, we have no idea of a time frame. We Americans, we would love it that if we give three months of prayer, we will get this much fruit. We would love to have an equation like that. But heaven never shows his cards in regards to the equation. All he says is come before me in a perpetual, persistent manner. And when you do that, you will get justice. I can't wait. I know that one day we're going to be in that prayer room, Kansas City. I know that I know. Someday we're going to be in there. It's going to be dry. It's going to be boring. All of a sudden, you've read the stories of history. They said the spirit came speedily. One of them in Africa said it sounded like a freight train was coming through the room. But you read the book of Acts. They said those tongues of fire fell. I don't know what it's going to be, the fruit of it, but I promise you, we will have justice in Kansas City. We will have the spirit of prayer contending, and there's a, under the grace of God, we will be there until we get a breakthrough in our city. 
the hunger that motivates you and moves you. So as a young man in the house of prayer, introduced to a life in prayer, a persistent prayer, I'm looking at it going, how am I going to live? It makes sense to me. The gospel is there. The scriptures are there. History tells us to pray. But what is going to keep me motivated in the place of prayer? What is going to keep me coming back on a regular basis? What is going to keep me hungry and moving? How am I going to live in this place of continually contending for my my city? How am I going to live in a persistent manner that will keep me coming back, pressing for in the area of prayer, exercising that muscle, staying focused in the place of prayer? Because typically, right happens right now is we throw up a prayer meet, we throw up a call, a whole bunch of people come forward, they say we'll do prayer. Three months later, our tendency is, is no longer to be going to the prayer meeting. We wane. Right now, I think our greatest gift to the church right now is the grandparents that spend their mornings praying for their grandchildren. That is right now one of the saving graces, I think, of the American church right now. But what would happen if we had a group of people that would, ha- that would throw up a banner And say there's 20 of us. And under the grace of God, we can do four prayer meetings a week. But we are going to stay here and we are going to contend for the revival in our city. We are going to stay here and we are going to have that hunger of that widow. And we are going to contend for the power of the gospel. And we are not going to let go until we see great breakthrough in our city. This thing that has been stirred within us. And we will not let go until we have a breakthrough. The idea that we're stirred for the power on the gospel, authority for impact, souls to be won, and we're standing in the place of prayer, contending. I came to the place where I decided to do the, the get up at the 6 a.m. and do that prayer meeting. And this was a huge shift and a change for me. I thought, this is colossal because I love to go to bed at midnight, one o'clock. So the first week, it was like my brain was jello. I was mush as I would make that transition and that change. So what I started doing was when I would go to bed at night, I would read books of revival just before I would fall asleep. I would feed myself that hunger that would actually get me out of bed in the morning. And as I would do that, I would get myself to the prayer room. I would begin to make that shift and that change. And the motivating factor is why I wanted to be there was I wanted my city to have great impact. The power on the gospel, authority that would shift and that would move things. And so when we have that, many in this room have that longing to see great impact. And I think a key ingredient that is going to actually catapult you into a life of prayer is understanding how prayer works in regards to the kingdom. Because many of us, we're praying to a God that we do not know. We're praying, excuse me, we're praying to a God that we cannot see. And so we're in this room. We've got a guitar, drums, we're worshiping. The maintaining this prayer meeting, but you're wondering half the time if, 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 it's, if it's going somewhere. If prayer is answering something, if something is shifting and there's something and moving. But there's this amazing reality that is taking place that we cannot see. But I'm confident that is taking place. Is that the voice, the human voice before the throne room is truly changing and shifting and, and moving things. 
And as I began to get an understanding as a young man that when I lift my voice, something is happening. It gave me great courage and great strength to actually stay in the place of prayer. The idea that when I lift my voice in worship, the idea that when I lift my voice in prayer, heaven is beginning to listen to me. All of a sudden, it bolstered me with my inner man going, oh my goodness, God is actually listening to me. Turn to Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64. This came about two and a half years into the prayer room. My journeys in prayer, the ebbing and the flowing. There's been seasons where I've been tenacious and there's been seasons where I've taken my foot off the pedal and just kind of coasted a little bit. And so I'm looking for those things that will keep me coming in the place of prayer. I've been looking for those things that will keep me focused in the place of prayer. There's one morning, we were in a corporate Tuesday, Tuesday, 10 a.m. prayer meeting. Somebody started to pray Isaiah 64. And this is a prayer that Isaiah had. And it was like this revelation struck so deep within me that it's encouraged me in my journey in persistent prayer. Verse 1, oh, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down and that the mountains might shake at your presence. This is Isaiah and he's praying. As the fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations may tremble at your presence. Verse 3, when you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down and the mountains shook at your presence. Verse 4, This is the kicker. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has there seen, I seen any God besides you. Isaiah, he's going, I want you to come and visit. I want you to come and encounter us. And then he says, no eye has seen or heard. There's no God like you. And then the last phrase I want you to look at. Who acts for the ones who wait for him. Isaiah, he had a revelation. That the eternal God is searching through the land. And he's looking for those that are postured before him in the place of prayer. And he's looking through the land. And he's going, where do I have those that are postured waiting on me? And he's looking and searching through the land going, where do I have those that are focused on me in a life of being before me? And then he throws out this completely wild but bizarre statement. He goes, I will act on behalf of those that are postured in before me in the place of prayer. Is what is Isaiah is saying. He's taking and, 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 and lifting up those that live a life of prayer. And he's posturing it beside the, the eternal God. And he's going, those that live before me in a place of prayer. He says, it is those ones that all of heaven is focused in on. And he said, it is those that heaven is listening. And so as heaven is searching through America today, I promise you, all of, all of heaven is looking for those that are waiting before him. And as he passes through Austin, he goes, aha, I've got some. 
And all of a sudden, heaven bends down and begins to listen to the prayers of the saints in Austin. Heaven does not pay a lot of attention to those that are building a ministry void from the place of prayer. But the place of prayer, heaven bends down and looks, goes, aha, what is it that they are requesting of me today? And as they begin to list their voice, he goes, okay. And the amazing thing about intercession is he takes you and he lifts you and he honors those that pray. And he says, now, how do we want to build the church in Austin? God listens to the prayers of the saints. And he gives us the honor of administrating his kingdom through a life of prayer. And as this began to settle on me, it began to blow my mind that the eternal God is listening to me. And as I'm standing there, many times I've pictured myself standing on that sea of glass before the throne room. Lifting my voice, saying, Father of glory, most beautiful God. And he's focusing in and he's beginning to listen to me. And I've said, Father of glory, most beautiful God. Would you give power on the gospel in Kansas City? And heaven is listening, going, Dwayne, keep it coming because I'm listening. And he says, one day I am going to act on the prayers that have been offered. He says, one day I am going to act because people have been listening. He says, this is how I respond. I'm convinced that the most powerful partnership is when we partner with the creator in the place of lifting our voice. All through history and through the scriptures, it is apparent that God does does not spontaneously move. He honors his created beings by partnering with us in the place of intercession and in the place of prayer. The mind-blowing thing is that weak and broken people help advance the kingdom of God through the place of prayer. It's stunning reality that when it comes to me, when it hits me, is that my voice shifts and moves destinies and futures when I pray. So when I became a little bit hungry for the gospel, when I came hungry for that souls would be one in my city. And then the revelation, the knowledge hit me that the most effective and the most valuable way for me to spend my time is actually by lifting my voice in prayer. All it did was bolster my inner man to actually spend my valuable hours of the day in a life in prayer. I am completely convinced the most effective way for me to do what I'm doing is to do minimal amount of these weekends and spend more time before God in the place of prayer right now. Truly, I would be more fruitful for you this weekend if I would stay in the place of prayer instead of doing 20 of these a a year. The most profound, most powerful place for me to spend my energies to do what I feel God has called me to do is to be in a life before him lifting my voice in the place of prayer. James, he says, listen, the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous, it avails much. It actually changes and it actually shifts things. That when you lift your voice in prayer, things begin to shift and things begin to move. The power of prayer shifts and changes destinies and futures. Our most effective and our most powerful weapon and tool 
in advancing the kingdom of God, breaking strongholds over a region, is by me worshiping God in the place of intercession, in the place of prayer. Powerful weapon of shifting and changing things in the place of prayer. A coming crisis in the land can only be answered by the church when we gather to pray. A coming crisis will shift and change things when weak and broken people gather together and pray. And the bizarre thing, the totally bizarre thing, is I actually like to pray now. Truly, I like to go into a prayer meeting, close my eyes, and talk to God. And even when I don't do it, I begin to feel it. And I love that. I begin to feel, ooh, I need to go back and be with God. I love that reality within my own life. So when we need to truly consider and ponder what is taking place today in the Western world and today in the place in the church. And I promise you, when you begin to get a certain revelation of just how powerful the human voice is in the place of prayer, when that begins to settle down on you and begins to rest on you, it bolsters you. And you begin to break out of some of those things that have been holding you back. And you begin to get in the place before God. And you begin to actually enjoy God in the place of prayer. Right now I've been reading a book. It's got me totally messed up. It's by a guy by the name of Reese Howells. It's called The Intercessor. He was a young man who was just hungry for God. And God began to train him as he was a young man began to train him in the place of prayer and he would bring a couple of sick people to him and he trained them in the place of an intercession contending in the place of prayer and he would see these little breakthroughs where miracles would happen and and people would be healed to the point where there's a couple times where the Lord said I can't remember the date May 1st at 6 a.m. this person will be healed May 1st at 6 a.m., boom, healing came to these individuals. Just profound training that he began to take them through. Reese Howells was in the 1920s and the 1930s. And what happening in the globe at that time was World War II was beginning to come together. So there's this World War I, and the nations around the earth said, Germany can only have... 100,000 people in their army at a time. And so they began to track that. And there was this little guy, and his name was Winston Churchill. And Churchill began to speak up, and he began to say, Listen, there's a guy over in Germany that you need to keep your eye on. He's a bad apple. The UK, United Kingdom, and France would not listen. So this guy by the name of Hitler becomes... And begins to make his way through the hierarchy of the, German, of the German political structure. And he gets to the place of leader, of being the chancellor. And nobody's really paying attention, but Winston Churchill's speaking out. Listen, be paying attention. This guy is not well, who you think he is. And it's at the same time in history that the Lord is beginning to train Reese Howells in the place of intercession, in the place of prayer. Same 
consecutive time going along. Reese Howells is getting victory and he's understanding the power of his voice in heaven. And as he's doing this, the political climate is beginning to shift in Europe. Now, Hitler was a smart cookie. He never, ever grew the army beyond 100,000. But what he would do is, is that he would always be shifting to 100,000. He would bring in the men, he would train them, and he would move them on. And nobody was paying attention to the names of the 100,000. He did it 12 times to where the point Hitler had trained 1.2 million soldiers And Germany and France were sitting back saying, everything's completely fine. Hitler's a great guy. The reality is, he's scheming and planning to take over the globe. And as this is going on, there's this young man who's living a life of prayer. And he's beginning to grow in in his understanding of lifting his voice. And he's beginning to move things in place of prayer. He's beginning to have great revival, actually. He moves to Africa, and great revival breaks forth through through his ministry and in the place of prayer. He moves back to England. And it's all now at the place where World War II begins to launch. Totally unprepared France. The great France, Napoleon's France. Germany begins to move. And the great France... Falls in 30 days, boom, Hitler just walks in and takes over all of France. And as things are beginning to to take place, Hitler looks at the UK. And this little guy by the name of Reese Howells, he gathers, he gets a little Bible school and he begins to train some of his students in intercession. And they're saying that in the most important time for for, uh, the UK... There was a 30-day window that Hitler should have advanced on England. And it was in that 30-day window that Reese gathered his intercessors and began to pray. And Hitler, he used to listen to this little demonic voice. It's it's well known that Hitler um, listened to demons and how he would move through Europe. And it's very intriguing as you begin to study history and as you begin to study how Reese Howells prayed. And it is completely evident to me that as Reese Howells is praying, Hitler is making moves. And there was one point in history where Hitler did not listen to the demon, but listened to his, 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 uh, his leaders. And it was at that important time when Hitler, when, excuse me, when Reese is praying in regards to should he take on the UK. And he missed that 30-day window. And as the war goes forward... Reese would spend up to 12 and 14 hours a day in, the prayer, in, his, in his room praying. He had a tr- tremendous mind for theology. And as he's praying, he comes to the conclusion and he says, communism either has to come under judgment or we're going to have to have another world war that's going to strike communism. And he starts praying that Hitler would move and take on Russia. Six weeks later from the time that Reese Howells calls his college to pray, Hitler makes a move and begins to move towards Russia. They say that um, it was well known that as he's moving to Russia, that Moscow begins to start to say Moscow is going to fall any day. And the Lord speaks to him and says, start praying for Moscow. 
And it's on the news everywhere. Moscow is going to fall tomorrow or the next day. Russia is just outside. Reese, he calls his, his intercessors and they begin to pray, protect Moscow. That Germany would not take over Moscow. And the news keeps on coming. Moscow is going to fall any day. Nothing takes place. Nothing happens. And all of a sudden, and, he's, and it says in there, nobody knows why but Hitler and his army. But Hitler turned and walked away and left Moscow. And nobody knows why, but he did not go after Moscow. And Moscow never fell. As he began to move down through the, down through the Balkans and down into Greece and Turkey, intercessors began to pray. And began to shift and change things. And as I am reading this, it is blowing every circuit in my mind. The power of an individual gathering with a group of friends. I am confident that Reese Howells in the place of prayer shifted and changed things in regards to World War II. It's amazing as you study history and you study the script and you study um, the, the life of Reese Howells. It blows my mind the influence that a power that a voice has in shifting future and destinies. And if we, the church, would get a vision for this, if we would understand the most powerful and the most effective place for me to shift and move things is by me lifting my voice in the place of prayer. If I would get a hold of that in my inner man and begin to do that. I would be blown away at the impact and the power of my voice moving and shifting things. I want to call you to consider actually spending more life, more time in the place of being before God. I had this major encouragement from the Lord this year in my life in prayer. You know, you hit those seasons where you wonder, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I, what is my mandate? What is my calling? Who am I? And I felt this bizarre invitation, but I was kind of excited about it to go on a 30-day fast. Now, if you know my history, that's a big deal. When we moved to Kansas City and found out they liked to fast, truly I went, oh, No. Jennifer, my wife, she's gone on a couple of 40-day fasts on her own. And, and I'm like, get past dinner. I mean, get past breakfast. At 11 o'clock, I go, man, when's lunch? I hate to fast. I hated to fast. But I felt this sweet invitation from the Lord to go on a fast. And right before I went on a fast, a friend of mine came up and she said, I don't know, I just feel like the Lord has given me Ezekiel 44, 15 and Ezekiel 23 for you. And so during this fast, I'm, I'm reading Ezekiel 44, 15. And Ezekiel 44, 15 is in the place where the Lord is encouraging in, the, in, uh, in a life of prayer. It was the Zadok and his family, the sons of Zadok. When there was crisis in Israel, the sons of Zadok, they kept the sanctuary. They kept the prayer room going. And nobody else had abandoned the prayer room, but the sons of Zadok, they kept it going. And as I'm reading this through, I'm kind of getting encouraged, and I feel like the Lord has spoken to me, that he has confirmed that I am to be in a life of prayer. And then verse 23 says, out of the life of keeping the sanctuary, you're going to instruct on what is holy and what is unholy. So you're going to preach, but it is from the place of prayer. 
So I'd come off of this 30-day fast, and I'm actually excited. I feel like God has confirmed something to me. And it's in this that during this time, about halfway through my fast, the whole house of prayer had gone on a 21-day fast. So I finished early, and so they're all fasting. I'm gorging myself. (laughs) Just kidding. And we end with a, the 21-day fast with the whole family coming together. So there's probably about 1,200 of us there. And Mike is kind of just sharing his heart. And in the last part, the last 15 minutes of the message, Mike says, let's everybody turn to Ezekiel 44, verse 15. And my chin just dropped. And I went, oh, my goodness. And he spent the last portion, 15 minutes, speaking out of Isaiah, excuse me, Ezekiel 44, 15. And it rocked me, going, God, you've called me to the life of prayer. And, it, and from heaven, it just marked me as an intercessor, going, this one. And I feel like I have such clarity on now how I'm to walk out and to orchestrate my life. Of the power of my voice is growing in me. The most effective and the most powerful way for me to spend my time is actually lifting my voice before God in the place of prayer. And I think at this time in history, the Lord is orchestrating a move where he's calling people to himself in the place of worship and in the place of intercession. Lifting our voices in a continual manner. Being before God, lifting our voice in the place of intercession and the place of prayer. And like Zinzendorf in the 1700s, as he gathered a group of people to pray, I feel like the Lord is beginning to do that once again. There's a movement across the nations and across the globe of people gathering together in the place of prayer. And as we begin to shift and move things and bring things together in the place of prayer, I'm actually excited and encouraged. As I mentioned last night, some 20 to 30 million gathered on the continent of Africa to shift and to change things. And when we see that beginning to happen, we the church need to get excited. Do you know that there was one prayer meeting they had in Africa where over 2 million people showed up for three days? They said it was this massive field. And in the midst of this massive field, there was these benches They said that during the prayer meeting, three women gave birth during the prayer meeting that three days. And these these ones gathered, and you know what they gathered for? That America would begin to enter into prayer and to fasting. The Africans are praying for us that we would have a revelation of a life in prayer. I'm encouraged. The idea, you see them all over, people doing all sorts of different kinds of prayer. But what it does to my spirit, it encourages, it encourages me, telling me we are going the right direction. I tell you, if we would see in this city a band of students getting together in the place of intercession, the place of prayer, I promise you fruit will take place. Scripture tells us clearly Mark says clearly that in the place of prayer is the most valuable place to be. Let's just go into worship. And I just want to ask the Lord to begin to speak to us. Oh, 
and fill us anew, we pray. Jesus, we invite you here this morning. Fill us anew, we pray. Yes, my Lord. Fill us anew, we pray. Yes, Jesus. Fill us anew, we pray, Lord. Let and Lord, let your glory fall. Lord, let your glory fall. Yes, we pray. Lord, let your glory fall. Lord, let your glory fall. Fill us anew, and fill us anew, we pray. Yes, we pray, Jesus. Fill us anew, we pray. Lord, let, Lord, let your glory fall. Yes, Jesus. Lord, let your glory fall. And consuming fire fan into flame. A passion 